Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Hey, today we're continuing our series that we began last week called House Rules. We're calling it House Rules. And last week we began with the reality that not all rules are negative, right? Not all rules are negative. Now, we live in a culture today um, that many times perceives rules as just negative things. It's like, man, it's this list of things that hold me back from things I might like to do, or it's a barrier for me uh, to become what I want to become. But rules within themselves are not all negative. In fact, house rules actually play an important part in the house. Um, house rules help determine the identity of those who are in the house, or we could say a part of the family. If you think back about growing up, all of us had some level of rules at our house. For some of us, it was maybe two or three things. For some of us, it was a long, extensive list of things. And those rules in your house shape the identity of who you are and who you were, maybe as a child, as a teenager, and maybe they still affect some of you today as an adult. And so house rules uh, in this series, we're not talking about the rules of the house where you grew up or maybe where you parent or live now, but we're talking about the rules of our spiritual house that begin to shape and change the identity of who we are as a spiritual family and ultimately as followers of Jesus. And so last week we uh, started laying out the who, the what, and the why of who we are as a spiritual family. Last week we started with the who, okay, the who of who is the church about, who is the church built on, who is the church for, and it was one name and one name alone, and that was the name of Jesus. And we said, man, everything is built on him. And we begin to see this truth that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around in today's world, that the church is not a building. Right? We, we use that verbiage all the time. Well, I got to go and run up to the church. Okay, we, go, we went to church today. The church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar, but it is flesh and blood. It's the redeemed people of God. We are the church. In other words, you didn't come to church today, but you came as the church. You've been the church at your job on Monday. You've been the church at the ball field on Thursday night. All right, wherever you went on Friday night, the church went with you because you're it. We are the church. And then last week we landed in Matthew 16 with this really eternity-altering reminder that Jesus gave us this promise. He said, I will build my church, and he says, even death itself will not be able to hold it back. And we looked at this timeline of history, seeing the powerful reminder that Jesus made this promise and he has stuck to it. And so the greatest thing that you can engage your life with is to be a part of the local community of believers, because for two thousand years it's been at the center of God's activity and it doesn't seem to be changing and we saw that reminder last week the who today we're going to look at the what so go ahead and open up with me Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today if you don't have a copy of scripture we'll put some verses on the screen for you to follow along last week we looked at a story in Matthew um, that involved a guy named Peter who is one of Jesus closest guys and in Matthew 16 last week remember Peter made a bold statement Today in Acts 2, Peter preaches a bold message. In the first 41 verses of Acts chapter 2, I'll kind of give you the quick synopsis of that. Peter preaches the sermon of all sermons. All right, check this out. On this day at church, okay, 3,000 people came to know Jesus, okay? That's a really good day in the preacher's world, all right? 3,000 people came to know Jesus. That's what happened in Acts 2. And in Acts excuse me, Acts 2 verse 42, we begin to see the beginning of the very first church. 
the very first church in Scripture. And I'm just saying, if there's anybody that we should kind of try to model our house, if you will, after, it should be the first church. I mean, the movement of God in this church in Jerusalem. So today, as we look at the description of the early church, my hope is that we will begin to see the what of who we are as a family, the what of our house rules, and to see the power and potential that is available when we live life together in spiritual community. So here's, if you're my note taker today, okay, in Acts 2, here's what we're going to do. We got a lot of them. We got nine different ways that we're going to see today that the church grew together. Nine ways that they were a family, and ultimately it's not just for them, but check this out. This is going to be nine different ways that it shapes and changes and how the power of the church impacts who you are today. So pick up with me Acts chapter 2, and let's start in verse 42. Here's what scripture says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the first way that Acts says, if you're taking notes today, that the church grew together was through public teaching, the teaching of the Word, just like we're doing right now. Um, If you're new to our church family, man, this is what happens every single time we gather. There's a portion of our gathering together as the church where we open up God's Word and we learn, we, we teach publicly or corporately from the Word of God. Now, there are some direct goals to every time we do this together. Some of you, I know, you're like, well, they're going to keep me here for an hour, so they got to feel 30 minutes, so we're going to let the preacher feel 30 minutes. No, there's, there's a deeper goal than that, all right? Scripture says there, there's further things that happen, and Scripture even gives us insight into what happens in this public teaching. Look with me at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So first, here's what it says. It says that we believe that the the scripture is the inspired word of God. In other words, we believe that this book is given from God, and he gave it to men to write and record, but it is without error. That this word is an absolute standing truth. And then Paul writes in Timothy, he gives us the list of things that happens when the word is taught. Watch this. Watch how this plays out. It says sometimes when it is taught, it will teach us. Okay? There are moments where maybe someone's been preaching and they say something. You go, man, didn't know that. It enlightens us. Okay? It teaches us deeper truths. Then he says it will rebuke us. In other words, it will call out certain sins in our life. And help us understand God's displeasure with those sins in our life. Here's what happens pretty frequently. I'll get done with a message on Sunday or on Monday or somebody. Somebody's like, man, that was was a good word, man. That was was hot yesterday, okay? You got all up in my business. You was reading my mail. Okay, all those analogies. They say all that. Man, you you were talking to me, all right? And can I just tell you something? I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, that's cool. But like, I don't even know your name, okay? I don't know what's going on in your world. That wasn't me talking to you. Guess what? That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word, okay, to rebuke or maybe to call out those things in us. That's what he said would happen. Then Paul says, sometimes it will correct us. The word will correct us to get us back on track. We're going one way, man, it'll go, no, 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 no. This is God's purpose and plan for you. Now, here's the thing. We don't always like the rebuking and the correcting part, do we? That don't sound as much fun as like the praise and encouragement part. But listen to me. If you can't get down with the rebuking and the correcting, then you're not really into the growing. Because it's all a part of how God uses his word to shape us. But then Paul says this in the end of verse 16. He says, it's there to train us in righteousness. 
When we open up the public teaching of God's word, it trains us in righteousness. Scripture was there to help us know how to live a godly life. Because here's what I know about you and about me. Most mornings, I don't just wake out of the bed or roll out of the bed just choosing all God's purposes and plans for me just perfectly. Man, I'm going 10 for 10 today. No, no, no. I chase self like a lot. And so he says, man, when you open the word and you do it corporately, it trains you in righteousness. It helps you know what it looks like to live a godly life. Then verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, it said this. You see, it says, so that the servant or the people of God may be ready for every good work. Or we could say it this way. The greatest thing we can do with the teaching that we hear in here is to live it out out there. See, a lot of times people will come up to me and they'll man, be very affirming on Sunday. They'll say, man, I love the word. It's a great word. It was strong. It's encouraging today. And I, I really appreciate the affirmation. I do. But, but greater than that, what brings me greater joy and even better, what brings God great pleasure is when we don't just hear it in here, but when we obediently live it out out there. Or we could say it this way. An obedient action on a Tuesday is a lot louder than an amen on a Sunday. See, God calls us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of the word, that it would train us in righteousness. Sometimes you may think this, okay? I realize some of you, man, you've been coming to church for decades, and, and maybe when the preacher gets up and he opens the word, you're like, man, I've already heard that before. Okay, man, we've heard the story of Zacchaeus like 22 times. I could, I could tell you in the Greek, I got the song, I know how to do all of it, right? I've heard this before. There's nothing new for me today, all right? I got a quote that I ran across this week. That's for all of you in the room that may have ever thought that. It says, what you get out of sermons isn't just up to your pastor. It's also up to you. The prideful listener says, I know this already. But the listener with humility says, I need this again. Man, what if we weren't prideful listeners? What if every time we, we publicly, corporately opened up the word of God, we came with open minds and open hearts to go, God, you might want to correct me today. You might want to train me in righteousness. You might want to rebuke something in my life. And I'm here, God. I want to hear. See, the church grew together in that. The what the church is about, that's, that's part of it. Then Acts says that the church grew together through fellowship. Fellowship was the second thing. Sharing life together. Hanging, did you know that hanging out together with other believers like, is a good, biblical, godly thing to do? Okay. Some of you just thought it was a Baptist thing. No, no, I guess it's a God thing. It really is in the book, okay? It's a good thing to do, All right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but that's part of it, fellowship. Then the church also grew together through the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. That doesn't mean Cracker Barrel biscuits, okay? Here he's talking about communion or the Lord's Supper, that they shared that together. That was part of their growing and worshiping together. And if you've been coming to the exchange long enough, you know, hey, every couple of months, like we'll have baskets that'll be all around the room and in there will be this little packet and, and we take communion or the Lord's Supper together. So why, why do we do that? Because like that's the right church religious thing to do. No, no, no. We do that because Jesus said, hey, do this. Do this to remember what I've done for you. And Paul highlights that. Paul gives the instructions. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. He was, it was a symbol. He says, Do this in, look at it, remembrance of me. 
In the same way, verse 25, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, we take communion when when we do, we're saying this. Jesus, I will never forget the high price that you paid for me. I will live my life in response to your body that was broken for me, to your blood that offers me forgiveness. You see, that's, that's a lot deeper than a religious act, but that's a response of our lives. And, and in communion, if you've been a part of that, when there's, there's a little cracker or wafer that represents the body of Jesus that's broken for us, and then a, a cup with juice that represents the blood of Jesus, and we take those as a symbol of remembrance of what God's done. So the church grew together. They grew together through celebrating, through breaking of bread. Then verse 42, finally it says this, they grew together through prayer. And they prayed together every week during our gathering, just like we did a moment ago, multiple times, we will pray together. Okay, now I've been in church long enough, okay, church gatherings. I know how corporate prayer in church goes, right? The pastor prays and everybody else listens or falls asleep, okay? That's how it goes. Listen, I'm about to blow your mind. Prayer, okay, corporate prayer within our gathering is not a spectator sport. It's a participator kind of thing. You see, when we pray together corporately, there's always one of two purposes. Either it's for ministry to others or it's to be in agreement with each other. It looks like this. Sometimes we pray together. We pray for one another in our gatherings. We'll pray, man, for people who are in need, or we'll pray for people who are sick, or maybe people who need courage to follow Jesus, that God would build their faith. Okay, we pray ministry to others. But there's other times when we pray in agreement with each other, and we pray prayers that may sound like praise and adoration to God. We're thanking God. We're celebrating who He is. And in those moments, we should be in agreement with one another. Maybe you've been in a church gathering before where somebody was praying a prayer like that and you had somebody like sitting down the row from you and they said, amen. You're like, what is that? Okay, <laughs> where'd that come from? That's right. Okay, you're looking at them. Where'd that come from? Here's what's happening in that moment. What they're saying, the heart behind that is, I'm in agreement with you. Like if I was up there praying, I had the microphone, I would be praying that same thing. Bring some more, okay? I like that. I'm praying with you. I'm in agreement. So we pray in ministry for others who pray in agreement with each other. So this church is growing together. How are they doing it? Through public teaching in the Word, through fellowship, through communion, through prayer. Look at verse 43 again, Acts 2. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Another way that the church grew together was through what we're going to call celebrating. They celebrated what God was doing. Here's what I know about your world and mine. Man, there's enough negative things in our world. You don't even have to look for them. And if we're not very careful, we can fail to live with a spirit of gratitude. And here's what happens. All my negative people in the room, we can, we can miss just like that, the very movement of God. We can miss it. Okay, He's working, but we can miss it. That's why even as a church, one of our five core values is we launched, we said, man, we're going to be good at this celebrating thing. And so we, we defined it this way. We're exchanging forgetting for celebrating. And then we gave it a little definition. Here's what we said. We're over pew sitting and taking for granted all that God does. We're about celebrating life change and actively responding to what God has done for us. And then we put a verse with that. I love this verse, Psalm 40, verse 5. Here's what it says. 
Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, none can compare with you, God. Look at this. He says, were I to speak and to tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. I mean, what if we woke up every day and lived with that kind of life of gratitude? Like, how would that change your Monday? If you're like, man, God, you've had things planned for me from long ago. And I, I'm going to list, try to list them, but they're too many. It's overwhelming, God. A few weeks ago, man, we all celebrated July 4th, right? And there were fireworks everywhere. Anybody go to a fireworks show on July 4th? Okay, enjoy it. Awesome. Some of you liars, you did. Okay. And like, so we, man, we went with my in-laws. We loaded up with my in-laws in an SUV and we went over to Empire Trucking. Anybody ever been to the Empire Trucking fireworks show? Come on, all my honest people now. Is that not the biggest gathering of rednecks in Rankin County? Okay, come on with that. Man, it's like 5,000. I'm just... Right there on Highway 49 in Richland. Everywhere. There's more pick-em-up trucks and John Boys in that group than you've ever seen in your life, all right? There, and we were right up in the middle of it, okay? We were. We were. I didn't have my Wranglers on, but I was there, all right? And then we pulled up. Like, we're on a side street because we we're like, we're not getting that 49 traffic. You can see them from anywhere. So we pull up on the side street, pop a tailgate, sit in the back of, not the pickup truck, the SUV. Okay, and so we're sitting in the SUV, and, and we're watching. I, and, like, it's really well done. If you've never been, like, you're going next year, 9 o'clock, July 4th, Empire Trucking, Highway 49. All right, free plug. And so, like, man, it's like a 30-minute show. They spend thousands of dollars pouring them into that. And just people from everywhere come, and, and they're a part of it. And we're standing there watching. We're about halfway through the show. And I, I caught myself growing unamused and distracted from watching the fireworks show. Like, it's what we came for. And I'm not, I'm not into it anymore. Like, I'm, I, I was, like, checking my phone, okay, make sure everything's good there. I'm watching, like, like your, your tires are bigger than your tires. Like, <laughs> okay? I'm watching the people go by. I'm looking at And every once in a while, I look back and I'm like, there goes another one, okay? And now my kids, on the other hand, like, they're locked in. This is like the highlight of their July 4th. Like, Daddy, look at that one. It looks like a star. Daddy, you hear that one? It sounds like Rice Krispies, okay? They're, like, they're locked into the fireworks show. And I begin to think about it. I was like, why is my response any different than their response? We're at the same fireworks show. What's the deal? Here's the deal. I've seen the fireworks before. A lot. And I know what they do. They go up. They go boom. They fall down. Every one of them. Never seen one that hadn't done that. But listen to me. I got so close to the fireworks that I lost the awe and the wonder of what was blowing my kids' minds. Listen to me. It's the same way in the church. We can get so close to the movement of God that we lose the awe and the wonder of God's hand and movement of, in His favor, His faithfulness to build and grow and multiply His church and to change the lives of people who are in it. I want to give you just real quick, okay, just a quick list of things we've seen God do just in this little spiritual house that gathers at 417 North Bitterman. Okay, just the last six and a half months, we're talking just January to July 2019, since January, over 225 people have jumped in to be a part of our Life Journal weekly reading plan through the entire New Testament to be rooted in God's Word. We've seen 38 people attend our Unite membership class to connect with our spiritual family during 2019. In February, we sent 60 junior high and high school students to Collide Weekend to connect with other students and with Jesus. In February, we hosted over 70 people for a fight night marriage event where they learned how to handle conflict in their marriage relationships. In March, we had around 80 men take part in our Man Up Weekend where they were strengthened, encouraged, and challenged as men and leaders. In March, we hired two additional staff members to help love and serve our growing church family. 
In April, we served hundreds of people in our city at the mayor's Easter egg hunt. On that same weekend, we saw a record of 1,003 people attend our Easter gatherings. This year, we've started a ministry that goes into local jails to carry the gospel to people in incarceration. In May, we saw nine families take part in our family dedication to vow to raise their children under the truth of God's word in connection with God's family. In June, we saw around 85 first through fifth graders take part in Camp Kid Life, where they were taught the truth of Jesus on their level. And as kids, they raised over $700 for a local Christ-centered mission organization. We currently have over 25 life groups, more than ever before in our history, that meet weekly where there are hundreds of people connected who are growing in relationship with God and with others. Oh yeah, and we've seen 24 people just this year declare Jesus as Lord through believers' baptism. That's over 200 people in our mere short seven years. I think maybe God deserves a little more than a golf clap. Church, that's not normal. That's not normal. That's six and a half little short months of the hand and the favor of God. But if we're not careful, we get so close to the fireworks that we lose the awe and the wonder of what he is doing. See, they grew together through celebrating, celebrating what God was doing. Look back at Acts 2, verse 44. It says this. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Here's the next way the church grew together. They, they made a relational investment. They made a relational investment. The early church, it says they met together frequently, not just on Sundays for worship. They got together in homes. They shared meals together. They shared life together. They encouraged one another in the word, in the promises of God. See, for us as the exchange, it happens through this thing that we call life groups. And around here, you'll hear us say it all the time that you weren't created to do life alone. You weren't. You weren't made to do life alone. And what I know is that maybe you came into a room today with this many people in the room and you're alone. Maybe you're physically alone. Maybe you're in a, in a marriage or relationship. You're still alone. Maybe you're going to go home today to a house full of kids or a job tomorrow full of workers, coworkers but you're pretty lonely in there. See, God did not create you to live alone. That's why we say around here, man, the best way for you to grow and get connected is to being a part of spiritual community in a group together. And life groups are this opportunity where you connect with other men, other women, other couples, other students to do what Acts 2 said is to share life in common, to grow together with one another. And I wish I had time to tell you story after story after story of people who've connected to a group and they found relationships and they found spiritual growth through sharing life together. Man, I've seen relationships form in groups of people who didn't even know each other. And they just showed up at somebody's house together. They went to a restaurant together. And now you can't break them apart because they found that deep-rooted community. And in groups, I've seen people in groups walk with people through the pain of divorce. I've seen people in groups share money with each other to help meet each other's needs. I've seen people in groups go on trips together. I've seen people in groups go to other families' kids' ball games and go to each other's weddings. I've seen people in groups go out to the movies and dinner together. I've seen people in groups celebrate the birth of babies and walk with one another through the pain of loss. 
I've even seen people in groups donate cars to other people in their group all because they were sharing life together. Now, I didn't say you join a group and get a new car. But I said it is in the community of a group where you begin to know the joy and the purpose and the peace and the life that God intended for you to have when you walk it out together. The church grew together because they were willing to make a relational investment. You know what that requires? That requires waking up and going, it ain't all about me. God may want to use me for somebody else, but I also need them for me. The church made that relational investment. The church also grew together because they grew in generosity and they made, a, they made a financial investment. The people of the church, it says they obediently gave of their money because they understood, man, that's part of me growing in this relationship with Jesus. If you know me on any level, you know that uh, I'm a big Alabama football fan, all right? No apologies, roll tide all the way, okay? It's coming, get ready, it's coming. But you could say to me, and it would be appropriate for you to say to me, but you're not a real Alabama football fan. What you talking about? Man, a real Alabama football fan, they went to school there, and I didn't. A real Alabama fan, man, they send thousands of dollars to the university every year. I buy a cap and a T-shirt every other year, all right? A real fan, man, they got tickets, season tickets to Bryant-Denny. I go like every three or four years whenever my schedule allows, okay? See, a, a real fan makes an investment of their life. Listen to me, church, it's the same way as we walk in Christ and live together in spiritual community. Oh, but on a way greater scale. You see, when, when you've really been changed by the love of Jesus and you connect to his bride, the church, you're a part of his house, then you begin to trust him on every level of your life. But hear me, listen to me. The church is not some kind of like donation pot that we just kind of chip into. But when we give of our resources through the church to Jesus. It is a personal act of obedience. It's a personal act of obedience. It's not that we're tipping God a little bit of the money, okay, that's in our bank account, but we're, we are giving to him obediently. We're returning to him what he has entrusted to us to say, God, I trust you above all things. You've given this to me, and man, it may be a little tight this month, but I want you to know that I trust you above me. And so here's a portion of that that I bring back to you, and you say to deliver it to the storehouse so that you can multiply what I've got that really belongs to you anyway. And listen to me, because of just the generosity, again, of this little, this little gathering of believers that hangs out together in Pearl, Mississippi, 417 North Bitterman Road, just because of your generosity, just in the last six months, okay, we've been able to give over $5,000 to a ministry in Swaziland, Africa, to help rescue girls from sex trafficking, give them hope and purpose through Jesus. We've given almost $3,000 to help plant another church so that they can find more people and bring them to Christ here in our own area. We've given almost $20,000 to help support churches and missionaries locally, nationally, and globally. And we've been able to help multiple families in need in our own family and in our own church community. Listen to me, when we trust God with our finances, with all of us, sometimes the hardest parts of us, man, he multiplies that thing. And he uses it in ways that we never could on our own because we say, God, I trust you. And God, we trust you. Because they didn't just make a relational investment, but they made a financial investment and God used it. Look back at verse 46. 
Just a couple more to go. Every day, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Here's another way that they grew together. This is how we're going to say it. They met together. They were meeting together consistently. They met together consistently. They considered it a joy, as Scripture says, and important to meet together. Access, my version says, every day they met together. Yet sometimes for us, it's hard to go one day and meet together. Every day they met together. God's Word says that we were designed for it. And here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, verse 24. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here, here's how we encourage one another. Not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you something, church? One of the greatest tactics of the enemy. You ready? One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to tell you that you don't need the other members of the family. I hadn't been a lead pastor but seven years, but I'm telling you that perhaps the most frustrating, the most defeating part of the role that God has given me to play is when I watch people come and connect to our spiritual family. Maybe they, they, they start a relationship with Jesus for the very first time, which is amazing. And maybe they get baptized and they start serving and they go to a group for a little while and they're connected and they're part of what God's doing. And then it's like magic. They disappear. Because... Life got difficult. Something happened with the kids. Things got crazy at work. Something wasn't working out. And they ran to isolation. Listen to me, church. The enemy loves to use isolation. It is one of his greatest tactics and his greatest tools. Because if he can get you isolated, listen to me, he can whip your tail every single day of the week. God did not design us to live life alone, but it says that we were encouraged to meet together, to not give up meeting together so that we may spur one another on. Over the last few weeks, I've interacted and heard personally the stories of a couple of different guys who are part of our church family here, walking through some of the most broken places of life that you can imagine. And listen to me, both of them said the same thing. I made a mistake. When it broke, I tried to fix it on my own, and I turned my back on my spiritual family. Listen to me. We weren't created to do this alone. You can be stubborn if you want to, but God created you to do it together in community. I can wake up on Sundays and have a personal relationship with Jesus in my bed with my Bible if I wanted to, but I would miss out on the power of the gathering of God's redeemed People who are walking this out together. You weren't designed to do it alone. See, the church grows together through being consistent. Now listen to me. I realize you ain't going to be here every week. I ain't here every week, all right? But when we place it as a value and a priority in our journey, God honors that and he waters the fruit of our lives and he grows the roots deep so that we can stand no matter what the world gives us. The church grew together through meeting together consistently. Last verse, Acts 2.47, look at it. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's the last way they grew together. We're going to put two together. They grew through praise and through people. 
through praise and people. Acts says the first church was continually praising God. Can I tell you something? The direct response of somebody who's really been changed by Jesus is always praise. Okay? If he's changed in here, praise comes out here. And it may not always look like this or like this or like this, okay? But praise has to come out. And scripture over and over and over, it tells us how we praise God. It's not just through song. That's part of it. But we do it through all the ways we talked about today. Through the, the public teaching and hearing of God's word. Through celebrating together. Through trusting God with our resources. Through gathering together relationally. Through celebrating. All of those things echo praise back to God. And then Jesus speaks this promise. Look at what he says. Hey, when you praise me, watch what happens. John 12, 32, Jesus says, and when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus himself says, hey, when I'm lifted up, when I am praised, when I'm given approval and adoration of your life, I will draw all people to myself. And did you read what happened at the end of verse 47? First church, it said the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, they continually praised Jesus, he drew people to himself. They praised Jesus, he drew people to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Sign me up. And over the last seven years, we've watched a little glimpse of that happen right here. Where Jesus has drawn people to himself. And he has changed lives. He has changed people's lives. Stories. One of those stories is a guy named Ronnie. Ronnie's part of our church family just like you are. I'd love for you to hear his story. Here it is. This is Ronnie Butler. Ronnie was born and raised in McGee, Mississippi. Although his parents didn't attend church, his grandfather was a janitor at a local Baptist church. So they were in the church building a lot, but not a part of the church. Ronnie was only five years old when he used drugs for the first time. He wanted to fit in with the older neighborhood kids. That was the beginning of a long and toxic relationship with addiction that would take him further from God than he thought could possibly go. Ronnie would go through 30 years of active addiction and 19 more in recovery before he truly changed who he was and certainly how he viewed God. Although his parents weren't active in church, Ronnie learned about unconditional love first from his mother. No matter what he said or did or how much trouble he made for himself, there was never a time he doubted her love for him. Whatever Ronnie did or did not understand about God became truly complicated when his mother committed suicide. He couldn't understand how a loving and powerful creator could allow that to happen. He was hurt and alone, and he became very angry at God. Five years later, his father also committed suicide, and he became convinced that God was not just, just wasn't for him. Instead of running to Jesus for healing, Ronnie ran away. He has been married twice, and in spite of his best efforts, both marriages have ended in divorce. The broken marriages just compounded his feelings of loneliness and disconnection from belonging. Ronnie began attending the exchange about two years ago in an effort to save his second marriage. He is so grateful he continued coming even when his marriage ended. Through the exchange family, Ronnie has gained invaluable earthly relationships, but above all, he has found an active and growing relationship with Jesus. Listening to and digesting Bryant's messages and being involved in a life group have changed how Ronnie views God. 
He knows now that there's nothing he could have done to earn the priceless gift of Christ's love and salvation. There's nothing he could have ever done or do that could separate him from God's pursuit of his heart. Ronnie says today in this water is just a small tangible sign of the outstanding and ongoing change that is happening in his heart and his life because of a Savior who chose to be a servant and a sacrifice for a sinner like him. I got the privilege to, to sit in a baptism meeting with Ronnie, and I looked at Ronnie and I said, Ronnie, tell me who you were before Jesus. And Ronnie really quickly, he looked down, and he looked back at me and he said, I was an enemy of God. I was a terrible person. But Jesus saved me. And by the end of the meeting, I looked at Ronnie and I told him, I said, man, you have clearly portrayed the gospel more clearly than I've ever heard it made in, in my office in one of those meetings. Enemy of God to new creation. And that's what you get to celebrate here with Ronnie today. So Ronnie, if that is your story, what's your confession? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because you proclaim that today in front of this room full of people, Jesus proclaims you before the Father who is in heaven. And it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. power of the church? What's the purpose of God's people gathering together? Stories just like that. Ronnie's, who found life in Christ, even through the most difficult, most painful moments of life, because he's remained connected to the gathering, the growing family of God's redeemed people. It's because of stories just like that that we'll continue every single week to publicly teach the Word of God. Stories just like that why every single week we'll gather around communion and praying together. Stories just like that why we'll continue to make relational and financial investments. It's stories like that why we will meet consistently realizing that we grow best together. And stories just like that is why we will continue to lift up and to praise and to celebrate one name and one name alone. That's the name of Jesus, because he's the only one worth building the church on, and he's the only one that can change lives. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange, or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.